So we've been going, we've been talking about relationships of best worth making. Where's the picture? Um, but we are, we are talking about these, these hard things. Actually, Lydia just prayed, you know, um, the hard things often come out in the relationships because we're made in the image of God, we believe. We're made wonderfully, but there's this thing called the fall and sin, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And that's ultimately the reason why um, relationships with people are difficult and hard. And so, um, so this is like the fourth week we've been doing this. We've been talking about um, why relationships in the first place. Last week we looked at friendship um, and some of the marks of a good friendship. And this week is kind of backing up just a little bit, but we're asking in the midst of these friendships, relationships, why are they so hard? And um, so let me read, and then we'll actually I'm going to talk a little bit more, and then we'll then we'll read. But as a youth minister, you know, I saw several of my students um, go through divorce. Their parents were divorced, and uh, one girl I'll never forget, um, just in tears, just you know, telling me the day of, you know, that her dad had decided to leave and had told her mom and and her. Um, Here she was, 18 years old, senior in high school. Um, Devastating. And uh, there was another child in the marriage who was a little bit older. She was the youngest. And it was as if he said, I've done my duty. I've raised my kids. And now I can kind of go... do what I want, and uh, man, devastating. And uh, uh, we all know that you know divorce is rampant in our society. Probably some of you in here have either experienced that or have family members that have gone through that. And uh, you know, sadly, even in the Christian church, it's about the same percentage as it is in uh, the rest of the culture in America. And this this family was a church family; they were at our church, and but he, yet he refused to. Um, acknowledge this and come under the church's reconciliation process. So it's just really sad, really sad. Um, and then, you know, counter that with, so that's like big thing to start out with, but then even good friends can get into spats. Even good friends, even the housemates can go through um, arguments and petty arguments over things like household chores and uh Things can become even passive aggressive in those relationships if you don't deal with those things. If you don't have the house meeting and get together and say, hey, let's draw up responsibilities so that under my breath I am not kicking your butt every time I see you. But seriously, there, there's, you know, you know, friendships, relationships are hard. Things get under our, uh, under our skin. Going on to dating and romance, um, uh, if you've experienced a relationship, if you've been in any kind of dating relationship, um, often those can there can be things that come up in those relationships which reveal your heart. They reveal your idols. They reveal um, your stubbornness. They reveal your fickleness. And uh, I was reminded of a Jerry Seinfeld episode. Is there any Jerry Seinfeld people that still watch the reruns out there? Okay. Kind of. Anyway, you guys should watch it a little bit. It's it's they're pretty interesting. But there was one episode where Jerry was dating this woman named Gwen, who he'd met at a party, and uh, the episode was this idea that she was two faced, because 
depending on the viewer's anger, sometimes you look like an, a model, like awesome, like this girl's hot, it's amazing. And then other times, she was like, who is that? Like, you know, like this woman, very, very ugly. And so in the, in the, in the uh, episode, like, you know, of course, like Jerry is, is showing all these little things, but you know what? Actually, that is a very big thing. Guys and girls get together. All of a sudden, like, everything's on cloud nine. And then, you know, a month or two down the road, it's like, well, I don't really like you. Uh, I don't really like the way, you know, I'm not attracted to you anymore. Um, and people break up. It's heartbreaking. Uh, the fickleness of our heart comes out. The fickleness, the selfishness. We see the flaws. We want to run. Um, and so, you know, dating relationships, is the romance thing is hard. Parent-child relationships. Okay? Parent-child relationships. Think about that, the difficulty of that. Um, in fact, <laughs> uh, this is several years ago, but there was a... There was a Washington Post article that I read about the Montgomery soccer team, Montgomery County soccer team, Legacy 13. Hopefully none, none of you in, in here was on that team. And, uh, but the parents were given a two-game suspension uh, from being on the sidelines of the game. This was a girls' soccer game. Okay, Why? They had to sit 300 feet from the sideline on a far-away hill because they used aggressive behavior berating a referee um, at a previous game and belittled his daughter uh, all the way to the parking lot yelling at her simply because they didn't agree with an offside call during the game. Well, what's going on in the heart with this incredible behavior? Is it just the kid, your kid out there that they're enjoying watch play soccer and enjoying that? No, it's, it's the parents... Uh, basically putting their whole um, identity on this child who is playing, okay? I will succeed. I will be considered a successful mom or dad if my child meets this standard, okay? So, and this is in the parental relationship. In fact, um, the league's disciplinary board um, talked about... uh, because the parents would pay the money and continue the bad pay. They, like, they continued to, to take this strong stance. And so they said, uh, this is unacceptable and you can't come out here. But ultimately what's going on with people is idolatry, trying to live through their children. Um, and when there was a bad call, they couldn't just say, you know what, that was a bad call, but I can live with myself and I can live with my child. Instead, they had to go after the referee and his daughter. Um, Dick Kyes wrote this quote. In fact, it's probably down further. Sorry. He said this, people tend to rest much of their security, purpose in life, their very identity on something or someone that is ultimately unable to bear that burden. Why are relationships so hard? Because we make idols out of people. Okay? Whether it's, you know, parents, spouse, children, family, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, whoever it is. We tend to say, hey, um, I'm putting everything on you. And when we do that, we are saying to some extent that you are my Savior. And people are not meant to be able to stand under that pressure. And so what happens when people don't meet our expectations, because we have these inordinate expectations, um, things crumble. What's the problem? Is it with them? No, it's with us. (laughs) 
It's with our own hearts. And so we're going to see where this all came from. It all came, comes, stems from Genesis 3. So let me just read this. Um, in fact, could somebody read this for me? That'll save my voice a little bit. 1 to 21. Anybody be willing? Ashley, go for it. You can you can pass it off. You want to pass it off somebody? Go ahead, John. Or should I? Great. Thank you. Thanks for reading that. I know that was long. So we're thinking about, okay, where, why are relationships so hard? And everything... Listen, if you could just get Genesis 1, 2, and 3 down, like the whole Bible will make much more sense. Literally, it is the foundation for the meanings of much of which is in the rest of the Old Testament and New Testament. So we're going back and we're saying, where do these hard relations come from? Well, they come right here. They come from Genesis 1. And uh, so we're, we're just asking this question, why are relationships so hard and difficult? Well, basically, because our hearts are given to idolatry. 
because we've left God and we're separated. The vertic- if you think about vertical and horizontal, you can go on, Carrie Ann, I think there's a point. Um, yeah. So, because our hearts are given to idolatry, basically, if you think about a relationship with God as a vertical to God and then horizontal to each other, this, this big line to God has now been uh, severed. It's been separated um, by what has happened here when uh, Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit. And so what Tim Keller calls this is, is this is the original worship disorder. This is the original worship disorder that takes place. Another name for sin is simply idolatry or worship disorder. Instead of believing in the God who created them, loved them, planted them in this beautiful garden, gave them everything under heaven and earth, they said, there's just one tree that we would like instead of everything else. I know We know you said that, but we're going to do our own thing. And so what happens is autonomy. Uh, they decide to go at life their own. And so... Um, what, is, what does Eve do? Well, the serpent attack, comes to her and challenges her. I want to make this point. She challenges her particularly with God's Word. She says to, to her, um, did, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say? Do you see what Satan's doing? He's attacking who God is and who His Word is. And so this is, you know, and just kind of a side note, um, those of you who have been around RUF, we spend a lot of time in the Bible. We spend because we believe that God has actually spoken in his scriptures. And he's given us um, knowledge about who he is, who we are, why relationships are so hard, life. And he's the author of our faith. And so it would be normal if you were driving a car and it broke down to look at what? The manual, okay, in the glove compartment, because those are the people, unless you're Volkswagen, those are the people that wrote that manual, okay, and uh, and they're going to tell you what to do with that car. Well, it's, it, likewise, that's the scriptures. So to some extent, Satan, you know what he's doing? He's attacking God's word. That's that's the number one thing. And so um, uh, he goes after that, and he makes God seem like a miser. He makes God seem petty. He makes God seem small. He's basically saying, uh, you know, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Actually, God said, you can have any tree in the garden. But he's saying, God doesn't want you to eat from any of the trees in the garden. Limiting God. Making God not good. And so, Eve's idea of God changes. So that's why we have to be in the Scriptures all the time. Because we forget it right away. Uh, We have to be reminded of, of who God is, who we are. And what is faith? And so um, the result is, you know, she takes of the fruit, she eats it, she gives some to Adam, and this is the original sin of the Bible. Uh, and then the result of eating the fruit is their hearts were given to idol worship. Okay, their hearts were given to idol worship. What was the ultimate idol they were saying? I am going to be autonomous. I don't need God's word. I can decide for myself with this information from Satan who is lying. I can take it myself. I can decide myself. I'm no longer the ultimate authority. Or God's no longer the ultimate authority. I'm the ultimate authority. I can decide. The problem is, Adam and Eve were finite. They were creatures. And God is infinite, infinitely wise and good. So, 
False worship became um, worshiping themselves, worshiping what they wanted. And so this is the worship disorder that is going on. Their problem is now our problem because we fell with Adam. And our hearts are the same way. They're given to idolatry. In fact, in Romans 1, I didn't put it here. Here's what Paul says. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became full and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man for themselves. Uh, for creatures, creeping things. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the, create, the, the creature rather than the Creator. So this is what our hearts do. This is the worship disorder. It started in the garden with Adam and Eve. The first, very first sin was a worship disorder. I'm going to trust myself instead of God's Word. I'm going to trust what Satan said. Ultimately, I'm going to decide myself. Autonomy. Again, you know, outside of God. So the hearts are changed um, and everything changes. They run and they hide. And so the application to relationships is here is that, so what do people exchange for God now? Well, one of the major idols we exchange is the relationships. Because people are made in the image of God and we think that, oh, there's security there. There's love there. There's intimacy there. And there are those things there. Okay? The family relationship. If you grow up in a good family, it's just amazing. It's so wonderful. It's so blessed. Okay? If you've had good friendships, those things are life. Okay? But what happens in the idolater's heart now that's a sinner is we make them ultimate things. We make them ultimate things. And so this is what happens. So relationships are hard and difficult because our hearts are, are trying to worship the other people. Relationships are somewhat like the fruit on the tree and they can become what we worship instead of God. And so in our culture, we, have all, we know all about... All you have to do is watch any kind of chick flick or Hollywood movie. Typically, there's ultimately the idolatry of the one. If I could just find the one, then life would go good, right? Um, you know, I would be blessed. I would be happy. And then I could live happily ever after. And so now we have like all of these dating apps and, you know, there's, I mean, I don't know how many there's out there. Like eHarmony is the big one that advertises all the time. You know, Match.com um, and Tinder. And in fact, I'm, you know, the, the, uh, I was reading his book, the, the comedian Aziz. Yeah, he wrote a book on dating. Actually, I'm going to buy it. Because he did all this, I don't know, have you guys read this book or seen this book? He did all this research with sociologists on dating and basically telling some of his story, but also just they interviewed thousands of people, um, basically, and had all these little group sessions talking about modern romance and dating. And, you know, part of this is we have so many choices now, like we've never done, that we become it reveals our hearts because we become so narrow in terms of you know who we will date or who we will ask out or whatever back in the day it's like if you were on the farm and your neighbor farmer there was a young lady about your same age chances are you're going to be getting married okay you're going to date her it's not going to be a lot of choices okay and and that's how life is in more traditional cultures you know that's how it is parents help with that process families 
that sort of thing. But now we have thousands upon thousands. We could keep swiping, right? Is it swiping left or swiping right? Or whatever. But, but we become paralyzed to choice because we're looking for the one. If they could only meet every need of me, then, then everything would be great. Well, that's r- relational idolatry. That's controlling us. Um, you know, so we think if I only had this girlfriend or that boyfriend, everything would make sense. People do this with marriage, even after they get married. But, you know, they think that, hey, you know, if I could just be married, then life will make sense. You know, I'll have a family. Uh, I won't have to worry about anything else. I'll, I'll, I'll cross that threshold and life will be good happily ever after. Marriage is it's hard work. Um, children, if I could only have a child, you know, then then everything would be right. And so, people become the source of our idolatry in many ways. People are good, they're wonderful. They're God's gifts to us to be loved and to be served. But in relational idolatry, we make them the ultimate things um, in our life. And so the Lord says, "Hey." Seek first my kingdom and his righteousness. Seek me. Seek the vertical relationship. And guess what? I am going to give you everything you need. I'm going to, I'm going to make your heart so full of my love for you. I'm going to give you the capacity then to serve other people. You might never get married. Okay? It's okay. You'll be filled with God's love. You'll be able to serve people, love people. You'll be satisfied. You won't have this ultimate thing that you have to attain to for the world to say, hey, you've made it. Or your own mind to say, hey, you've made it. So, the, this vertical relationship has been broken. Second thing is this. Um, sin has made us ultimately selfish. Because, because since the fall into sin, our relationships have been power plays of selfishness. So, as you look at the passage here, the first thing you see is hiding and blaming. Okay? Hiding and blaming. There's blame shifting going on. God comes to the man. He says, hey. He says, listen, the woman you gave me. The woman over here. She's the problem. Uh, she gave the fruit to me and I ate it. He's even blaming God. Okay, He's blaming the woman and he's blaming God. Um, and so, the, then the Lord goes to the woman. The woman blames the serpent. You know, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There's no owning up of responsibility. It's all hiding. It's all self-protection. They're hiding from God, and so uh, their you know their mo, so to speak, is to run away from each other, to stay to themselves uh, in fear and in shame, and try to figure out life on their own. Try to figure out life on your own. That's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be, um, you know. And this is one of the things we. This is this was written we, like thousands of years ago. Is this not true today? It's just not true that we still live with shame, guilt. We we try to control. We try to manipulate people. Um, I mean, this is our world. This is how we operate. This is biblical reality. Why do I believe in the Bible? Not it's because God said so, but it also fits with reality. It's like the key that unlocks the reality. It actually speaks to us deeply about this is how life is. And so then God gives this curse. And the curse is all about um, the fact that these male and female relationships are affected. Why are marriages so hard? Why are relationships so hard? Part of it is in verse 17. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring 
forth children. So this child-mother, the parent relationship is going to be painful. Families having babies are painful. It's sacrifice. It's physical. It's emotional. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard to raise children and to care for them because now you've got two sinners or more living in the same household. The marriage will suffer to the woman the bent of her heart. Right here it says, Your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. And so this word desire in the Hebrew is this idea of an inordinate desire. So basically what's going to go on in the man and the woman relationship is the woman is going to try to control. The woman is going to try to manipulate. Um, and it's the same word that's used for sin is crouching at the door and desires you. Okay? But you must master it. Husbands will, will struggle with what? Domineering rule. Instead of serving and loving you know, their wife, the woman, now it's going to be this um, aggressive, domineering role. And so, this is the curse of sin because you got two sinners trying to figure out life outside of God's purposes. It's all about like domineering, manipulation, and, and just power plays. Doesn't sound too good, does it? Here's another 80s reference. Pat Benatar, she had, a, she had a big song called Love is a Battlefield. <laughs> YouTube it tonight. It's a cool video. Um, but <laughs> love is a battlefield right here. It started in Genesis 3. Um, and part of this, too, goes back to Adam and his silence during the whole um, temptation thing. Where was Adam in the midst of the garden when the serpent came in? Was he in the treehouse playing Xbox? I don't know where he was. But for some reason, he was not there to like say, hey, like let's not believe the serpent. He's hook, line, and sinker. Um, and so, we see this battlefield in our relationships now. We struggle with friendships. You know, We struggle with misunderstandings. We struggle with communication problems. We struggle with controlling or manipulating one or the other. It all stems back to this. Uh, the whole guy-girl rejection mess, you know, that happens. You know, if, if, you, if you do ask somebody, somebody out and they say no, um, typically it's not like, thank you for telling me, I'm, I'm your friend anyway. Typically it becomes this manipulative power play that is really wrong um, and not respecting the other person, not treating the other person like, um, a woman or a man made in the image of God, a brother and a sister. And so, this happens in the church. This happens with Christians. It's not just out there or whatever. It's everywhere. Um, and so, part of this is like, is that you? Um, because ultimately, you're not trusting God with your relationships. You're trusting yourself. The idolatry is coming out saying, she is the one, I must have her. Or he is the one, I must have him. And I'm going to do anything I can to get him. The inordinate desire. And so Ted Tripp, Ted Tripp and Lane wrote this book. And uh, they talk about six things <coughs> excuse me, about our heart under the rule of sin. Okay, so I'm just going to briefly mention these. Sin makes you self-centered. Meaning, when you reject God, okay, it creates a void in your heart that you will seek to fill with yourself. Uh, you'll, you'll be self-centered. Because God is not the center of your being and of your heart. 
You're going to hijack that and you're going to make yourself your own God. Two, sin makes you committed to self-rule. God's wise and loving rule is replaced by your own self-rule. So you seek to control others. Uh, You seek to be Lord over them and get them to do your bidding. This thwarts God's design for this mutual service and submission that He wants in relationships. Three, sin makes you self-sufficient. Okay? Um, Sin makes you believe the delusion that you're sufficient with yourself and you don't need God anymore. You can figure out life on your own. You don't need His Word. You don't need His direction. You just can go on about life. Sin makes you self-righteous. Or self-righteous. Meaning that when you reject God and His grace and the Gospel, then you have to make yourself righteous. You have to boast in yourself. It makes you prideful. And when two prideful people come together, there's not much humility of, oh, I can serve this person. I can love this person. Um, It makes it really hard because it's just two selfish people trying to be selfish and prideful. And you have to, you know, the beauty of a a good marriage is two people that are saying, I know that I am a selfish person. I am going to repent. I'm going to seek to serve and love you. Okay? Um, Five, sin makes you self-satisfied. When you're convinced that fulfillment is found outside of and apart from God, You'll place your main energy either in other things to fill the void, people, um, work, career, pleasure, people. um, Things all become a means of making you happy. And so, and you forget each other. Sin makes you self-taught. And this kind of goes back to trusting in God's Word. And so, the point is, when you reject God, when you reject Jesus as your only hope, you turn to self. And self crumbles. And relationships crumble. Um, And this is all hard, but there's hope. (laughs) There's hope. And the hope is the Gospel. Um, And really, the very end of this passage um, talks about... Maybe it's not there. The hope of the Gospel. And the promise of the Gospel is our only hope in relationships. So, the very end of this passage, um, what happens? Well, in the beginning, God comes near. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, did God say on the sideline, said, huh, kick you to the can, forget you guys. No. He runs after them into the garden and says, where are you? You're hiding. This is amazing grace. God is saying, in the midst of your sin, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come after you. And He asks these counseling questions. Where are you? Like, Let's commune. Let's talk. Let's be reconciled. This is the kind of God we have. So no matter where you are, if you're feeling like, man, I've rejected God, I'm running away, all my relationships stink, I'm like, I am the this person, which I am. We have a gracious God who runs after us, loves us, and He gives us this promise. And so in the midst of this curse, God says this in 15, um, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. That's it. He, meaning Jesus, the seed of the woman who's going to ultimately come, is going to crush or bruise the head of the serpent. And the serpent shall bruise his heel. 
meaning that the serpent will not give a deadly blow to the Messiah or the seed. All the theologians agree that this is, was the first picture in an acorn seed of the Gospel in the Old Testament. That the Lord was saying to the woman, through your seed, someone is going to be born who's going to deal with the serpent and sin and death. And so really, ultimately, through the entire Old Testament, you have this unpacking of where's the seed going to come from? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all the way through the children of Israel, ultimately to Jesus. And Paul says in Galatians that, that was the, seed, the seed was Jesus. He was the one who was born. He's the one who conquered death and sin and Satan on the cross and killed Him so that we might be restored to God and have hope. Do you think Adam and Eve believed it? Yes. You know why? Because Eve, when he, uh, the name of Eve is... Um, uh, because she was the mother of all living. So they're already saying, hey, Eve's name, she's going to be the mother of all living. Like Even though we are under the curse of death, there's one that's going to come and she is going to be the mother of the living. The one that's going to live. And then we have 21. Look at this. Look at this seed shadow right here. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So here's God's first sacrifice in the Bible to cover them for their sin. What does that sound like? Well, in the Gospel, when Jesus died on the cross, His righteousness covers us from our sin. His blood, His sacrifice is what makes us acceptable to God. So, God is restoring Adam and Eve here uh, through this sacrifice of these animals. This is the very first sacrifice in the Bible that points all the way to the cross. So, what is the hope? Well, the hope is a God that loves us, gives us grace, and restores us and doesn't leave us in our sin and gives us hope for relationships. Now, the sad thing is in Genesis chapter 4, we have the first family murder. Two brothers get together and murder each other. So, there's a lot of work to be done. Okay, But even in the midst of this, God's grace continues on. And so, um, if you're weary, if you're worn out in your relationships... Uh, and you feel guilt and shame, and um, we have a God of grace who loves relationships, and He especially gives a lot of grace for relationships and marriage and friendship, because He is He is a God who is a friend. Let me pray for us, Lord. Thanks for being able to think about uh, Your Word tonight, and. The difficulty of relationships, Lord, we are a mess. Um, but we thank You that we have a Savior who doesn't leave us um, outside in the cold, but runs after us, gives us His grace, ultimately gives us um, Himself in Jesus, taking our sin upon Himself, dying, rising, um, welcoming us into His new family. So we praise You for that. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.